Geekscapists, Jonathan here, just to let you guys know that this week's episodes were all recorded at Los Angeles Comic Con over the past weekend. We had a whole lot of fun walking around the floor, getting to meet a lot of people at LA Comic Con, and seeing old friends, and the highlights were putting together these three panels that you're going to hear this week. First up, we've got Kaiju vs. Giant Robots. This one was recorded with a pretty awesome cast of experts. You're going to learn a whole lot about uh, giant robots and kaiju monsters. If you're not like well-versed in them, like me, you're going to really, 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 really learn a whole lot. Um, so stick with us this week. Enjoy these panels. Share them with your friends. And if you want some old-school Geekscape, go back to the feed. Listen to a special or listen to a sit-down interview. Okay? Geekscape forever. Enjoy. Clark, do you guys want to get started? Yeah. All right. Welcome to Giant Monster, Giant Robots and Kaiju Attack LA Comic Con. This is a panel that we put together just basically to celebrate our love of giant robots and kaiju monsters, uh, which have become pretty popular in the mainstream media uh, in the recent years with things like Pacific Rim. But uh, we had to go and dig deep into places like toy bins and comic book boxes to... Uh, and do import VHSs of rare Japanese shows to satisfy our love of uh, giant robots and kaiju back in the day. Um, so I've, I'm Jonathan from Geekscape, and we've put together a panel of people who I think grew up like that and just loved these monsters and giant robots from back in the day. Uh, panelists, if you could, starting with Tom Frank there in the end, can you introduce yourself and also say a bit about uh, what you do today that has that involves it, you know, and you can be Tom has he'll he'll get into it, but but uh, say a Tell little bit about stop. say a little bit about your current uh, state of love for giant robots and kaiju, and what your first like gateway drug into it was. Well, I'll, I'll start with the gateway drug part first. Um, you know, I remember I'm from Massachusetts. I grew up watching Channel 56. Creature Double Feature was on every Saturday, um, and robot anime shows, this was a, a sort of a regional show. There was a show called Force 5, which was on, which would take uh, Shogun Warrior-based anime shows, like uh, Get a Robo G and Grandizer, and it would show each one would be a different day of the week. You know, Monday would be Dangard Ace, Tuesday would be Star Avengers, which was Get a Robo G. And I collected the Shogun Warriors the second they came out, and uh, Vinyl Kaiju, and I basically have never stopped. Uh, I did go to Japan seven times to hunt down toys, uh, and there was one that I was looking for for 13 years, uh, and in 2006, I did win it at an auction for $15,500. So Tom, before you get too far, for those uh, people in the audience who don't know, what, were the, what was the Shogun series? The Shogun Warriors were toys from the 1970s that Mattel imported <clears throat> from Japan that were originally made by a company called Popey, um, and they were two feet tall. They were made out of polyethylene, uh, which is the same material used to make like shampoo bottles. So the nickname for them is sort of giant shampoo bottles. Uh, there were also Chogokin toys in the 70s, which were huge, which were die cast metal, um, which was a huge phenomenon sort of before the Transformers took over, and like cheaper plastic uh, was the preferred uh, material at the time. So that was a huge phenomenon as well. And Shogokin comes from the first giant robot uh, anime that was piloted, Mazinger Z, um, which just had a new movie released this past year uh, in Japan, and it was released for two days in the US. Anyone see it when it came out in January? Yeah, there we go, Mazinger Z. Um, but that robot was made out of the, the, the super metal that they said it was made out of was called Shogokin. So the toys adopted that name so that kids felt like they were playing with toys made out of the same metal as their favorite robots, which I just thought was a, a wonderful phenomenon. 
Um, and you know, I was hooked on that as a kid, and uh, I just never stopped. We're going to get back to your journey okay. to win sure. that auction of one of three toys that exist, period. Yeah, there's a lot more to that story. Okay, Julia. Hi. Hi. So, okay, my name is Julia Howe. I work in special effects. Um, my most recent, I guess, kaiju big monster um, project was Godzilla, so that's coming out next year. And um, I do not have, like, adamantite Godzilla toys or anything like that. <laughs> but um, let's see. My father had the, I guess it was made of lead or pewter, the one that shoots projectiles that you just can't get anymore. So that was... Because <laughs> yeah, you'll choke on it? The one that is, like, totally a choking hazard. But yeah, I, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm happy to report yeah. none of Chogo kid. I didn't choke, choke on the Godzilla toys. So uh -huh. I'm here for you today. And um, I don't know. I, I grew up in Japan, so this kind of stuff was normal. Like, you would just turn on a TV and, you know, that genre existed. And, it is, would be um, so jealous. Yeah. Is it weird seeing a bunch of people geek out over these things, and you're like, "No, I'm glad because yeah. I remember coming to the states, going, where's my, where's my kaiju battles?' And right. it didn't exist, right? And I'm, I'm really excited that it's kind of coming full circle, and now we have it. You know, so all good things. In in currently, you work as a special effects artist, and <laughs> well, I, I build actual robots. You, now you yeah. make actual <laughs> robots and yeah. kaiju and things. Yeah, that's incredible. So, yeah, a lot of fun. So it comes, comes full circle. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Jay. Oh, hi. <laughs> I'm here. Uh, I'm Jay Washington. Uh, my history started me being a kid on the south side of Chicago who couldn't go outside. Mm -hmm. So I was always in the house watching Spectre Man. I grew up on Transor Z yep. before I found out he was Mos. <laughs> I grew up on Transor Z and, uh, you know, remember him, the Bobo Bot, Aphrodite A, all those, the kaijus there, watching all the Godzilla films and all the different kaiju battles there. And you couldn't go outside because it was dangerous or because uh, you were a Bobo Boy? Because uh, it was dangerous. <laughs> uh, I grew up on the south side of Chicago in Bubble the boy 80s. Bobo Boy watching Bubble Bot. Yeah, was, I grew up on the south side in the 80s. <laughs> Not that good. Uh, <laughs> Good. So I've always been a fan of them. Then fast forward to like 86, I think it was a six, five, six year old, I got introduced to Voltron. Mm -hmm. And that in itself changed my life. Hmm. Because I used to imagine that I had a underground chute under my house and somewhere there'd be a lion. But but I knew it wasn't but the sewer there. So I had I had that. Then I got you know I watched all of the Voltron series. I went from there to the 15 piece that I still hate to this day. And then I found about the Japanese three, the Gladiator Voltron, the three pieces, yeah. which a lot of people don't know exists. There's a three. Yeah. There's a three piece Voltron. It's three big robots, and you're just yeah. like, how did this happen? And so. From there, and then just again, keep watch Spectre Man, Ultraman. Then we get the Power Rangers in America. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my dear Lord. You know, at first I was upset because the Megazord was Voltron, and I was like, why are they doing this? Like, this is a direct ripoff. But then I didn't know at first, because again, the way I grew up, I didn't know that it was based off of a Japanese series. Mm -hmm. So I found out about the Rangers back then and watched those, and then ended up watching all of the future episodes of the Power Rangers, which to this day I still do, and I don't tell a lot of people, so if you tell anybody outside this room, I will deny it. <laughs> deny it. But yeah, I've still been a fan of it. Um, I get a chance to do a lot of panels and different things to talk about and talk about a lot of movies. So when I get excited to talk about these things, like I got a chance to interview the director of Pacific Rim Uprising, and that was before I saw the movie. And I really wanted to tell him how I feel after I saw the movie. But that's a whole nother argument. <laughs> <laughs> but I've always been into it. Again, there's something about giant robots. Again, the Transformers. I love the combiners. That the regular robots themselves is just one thing, but the combiners always have fascinated me. So I've stayed influenced by them consistently. Wow. And I talk about a lot of comic book TV shows and movies. <laughs> um, FJ. Oh, um, I was fascinated by that. <laughs> I, mean, I actually produced the Combiner Wars cartoon. Yeah, FJ produced the Combiner Wars cartoon. He, so that, yeah. that's all I did. There you, you have a place in my heart. There you go. No, it's not, it's okay. um, I'm FJ DeSanto. I'm a producer, occasional writer. Uh, growing up in New York City, we were lucky that the first anime to sort of hit the U.S. in the late 70s, early 80s, you know, stuff like Gotcha Men and, you know, Yamato and all that stuff. And that just completely, you know, destroyed my little mind and you know I found myself seeking out like Japanese bookstores and toy stores and stuff all through New York and anywhere I traveled and like you Voltron was a big thing for me um, but then I even remember at a certain age when Robotech came out and I'm like it's Matt Cross you know like getting all yeah, sure. getting all yeah. defensive about it and stuff like that um, 
and just being obsessed with buying, you know, like any any art book, any book related to these things. And uh, again, we had the early Japanese bookstores, so I, I collected a bunch of a lot of manga, and then did a lot of tape trading, you know, into my sort of teen years and stuff like that, because that was the only way to get get these things. And it, it sort of expanded, but I, I loved <laughs> Voltron and and collected a bunch of toys. I also had the Shogun Warrior stuff, no, again, not knowing the background of Mazinga and stuff like that until much later. And, uh, you know, like, I, I w then I ended up in film school making short films based on City Hunter because I had just bought the co complete manga not even knowing what it said. I would just buy tons of manga not knowing what it said if it just looked cool. Wow. And then as I got older, you know, I sort of got lucky working a lot in Japan. I worked for Ishimori Pro for a lot of years, so I did their U.S. version of Cyborg 009, the graphic novel and stuff like that. And then the last couple of years, to sort of bring it full circle from when I worked with Gotchaman, I w actually, those Transformers shows we did with Tatsunoko. So, you know, I'm sort of the guy who runs around that office sort of going, you know, trying to steal Gotchaman toys and <laughs> things like that. So I got to sort of combine everything, this sort of love of anime and the robots and stuff like that and, you know, really do, do this stuff, which I'm still doing now. And Diallo? That's me. What's up, man? <laughs> How you doing? Uh, my name is Diallo Jackson. I'm a writer, written for um, uh, like Geek and Sundry, and I uh, publish my own comic book right now called Angel in the Dark. Um, I grew up in San Francisco. We used to watch, uh, there's a, a TV show called uh, Captain Cosmic and 2T2. Um, and that's where, that was like my gateway drug to, uh, <laughs> to a lot of the uh, giant robot stuff. Um, so my story I like to tell all the time is when I was about five or six, um, I was really obsessed with this one show called Johnny Sucko and His Flying <gasps> Robot. And I remember I was just so into it. I, I turned to my mom one day and I was like, I, I'm, I'm changing my name to Johnny Sacco. And she said, okay. And that was it. <laughs> um, what did you say? <laughs> uh, she just like ignored me, basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, growing up, uh, Ultraman, um, there was another one called Space Giants I was really obsessed mm -hmm. with, with Goldar Silvar, and um, Gam was their little son. They turned into rockets and fight giant, uh, uh, giant creatures. Um, when I got a little bit older, I got uh, introduced to um, uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, and uh, which is to, uh, has is the greatest uh, opening theme song for anime, in my opinion. Wow, <laughs> that's a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, I also um, just want to have a controversial statement to make about Voltron. Um, the car Voltron is not as bad as you think it is. That is very <laughs> controversial <laughs> and very wrong. I know people get triggered. But <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> I made a big mistake sitting here. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the BB was talking about. MK, we need your guns to like keep them apart. No one on this panel is as powerful as you. We need you there. No, Lion Voltron is definitely superior by far, but I'm just saying the vehicle Voltron gets a, gets a short The C-Team. The C-Team. That is all I'll say. So um, I'm sitting here listening to you guys talk, realizing I gathered this panel as the person who's the least like literate in this stuff up here by far. Who feels like we're sitting in a panel of just deep cuts? And I, I'm way, I'm like, Way pitching, like hitting above my weight on this thing. Oh, I am. I am uh, this is insane. I think this crowd's far down the rabbit hole. I think you guys, we're be okay. like, you guys are in it to win it, right? Yeah. Like you guys are into this. They're speaking sure. your language, right? Yes. He, auctioned, okay. he won an auction for fifteen thousand dollars yeah. for a toy. I mean, he beats all. I have like such a, my, <laughs> my cursory knowledge of this stuff is like loving Godzilla movies, <laughs> loving Gamera movies, <laughs> and Damajin. Like I remember getting all those yep. tapes. Of, I all mean. Three. Those VHS tapes that, that came in the box and made his face like on the side, sure. and put them all together. I, I still value that stuff. But when I was a kid, I was I was in a Disney, which led to Pinocchio, which led to Astro Boy, mm -hmm. and spending summers in Mexico with my family, I would just watch all the stuff that they would put that they would bring to Mexico, but not bring to the U.S. And the Astro Boy stuff was so popular down there, I think because of the love of Disney. And then um, I remember watching the cartoon with guys. Tell me what series this is. Where the female robot shoots missiles out of her chest. Transor Z. Yeah, like, Mazinger Z is Transor Z. And as here. I yeah, like started right. discovering like sexuality <laughs> going into college, <laughs> in like 30s, uh, I was like, "What is that? <laughs> what is that?" 
<laughs> I found it ridiculous, but I was captivated. <laughs> and so much of this stuff is ridiculous, but we're captivated. And that's, that's true. And like, uh, if you want to just stay with Astro Boy, Astro Boy is a lot sort of deeper than it appears on the surface. Absolutely. It's, it's really, there's a lot of complex stuff going on in there, and it's just a fun cartoon. But there's the famous two-part uh, episode, and also the manga, The uh, Greatest Robot on Earth, uh, which there's this evil uh, robot with big horns that uh, wants to be the toughest robot on Earth, and it uh, makes a list of the top seven robots, and it kills them off one by one, and one of them is Astro Boy. And that robot was called Pluto, and Pluto was remade, I don't know, earlier, like 2008 the or something like that, fantastic. as a manga. It's the most, it, it, and it completely looks at it from the perspective of one of the victims of the robots, which is a detective, which is trying to figure out who's doing this. And it's like 1,700 pages, and you don't see Pluto until like page 1,200 of it. Wow. And it's, it's a complete masterpiece, and it's taken so seriously. Right. But that level of seriousness was there right from the beginning with Tezuka and Astro Boy. It's, it's very deep. There's a lot of complex stuff going on there. So if you haven't read Pluto, uh, check it out. Check out the original Astro Boy, The Greatest Robot on Earth. And that's republished as manga? Yes. Yeah, it's easy to get here. Pluto. Yeah. The Pluto stuff? Pluto's wow. incredible. It's, that it's sounds like a absolute, masterwork. A absolute masterpiece. Um, so Tom, tell us about your story about why your kid's not going to be able to go to college because you're spending all this money. <laughs> well, that toy, uh, you know, we've been talking a little bit about Transor Z, Mazinger Z, um, the Shogun Warriors. Uh, the, the polyethylene robots, the first two that came out were Kamen Rider V3 and Mazinger Z. And those were the shows that were popular in 1972, 73. And, uh, so they make these toys and they decide, hey, you know what? We want to make store displays of the villains to help sell the heroes. And the excitement about the villain store displays was so popular that at the 11th hour they decided to turn them into actual products. But they were produced in very limited numbers and they didn't have, you know, they had like brown cardboard packaging with cheap graphics on it. And uh, they were produced in much smaller numbers. And the one, in Mazinger Z, the first two-part episode, the two robots that he fights are sort of very famous looking. One is Dublas M2, which has two heads, and then Garada K7, which is the evil skull robot with sickle horns. And it's really badass. And toy producers at the time, you know, we, we think about toys now as like grown-ups buy toys and action figures and, you know, McFarlane changed all that in the 90s of it not being just for kids. In 1973, it was strictly for kids and they said this Garada K7 looks way too scary. They tried to change the look at it, of it to make it look more docile, but it was still this evil skull robot and uh, they, they just decided to not own, only make a few of them. And uh, one showed up in a museum, one showed up like about to be thrown out, and then I found the third one of it, and everyone went crazy for it. And I, I Why were there to... only three? There's only three known now. Known now. Who, who, who knows how many they made? You know, right. there might be a few more, but, you know. And there's a problem right now going on with very rare toys that you see similar to comic art going on on eBay of forgeries. You know, and we live in a very, you know, you can speak to this, very technologically advanced yeah. time in terms of mold making. Sure. Um, and there's a lot of toy, antique toy forgeries going on now for very high-end toys is a, is a growing big problem. Um, and for the villains of Jumbo Machinders, you know, out of Hong Kong, it's believed there's some, you know, they're taking original specimens and making molds off of them. And people are, you know, all, all these toy uh, sort of, authentication experts are counting the rivets mm. to see if they match up. And, um, you know, there's, uh, well, to, to get back to it, there's, uh, I think there's a few uh, uh, replica forgeries of Garada K7 out there that have not been authenticated. And people are doing things like poking the vinyl apart, opening it up and looking at it to see if the vinyl on the inside is aged because you can weather the outside of it but the inside is going to age as well. So that's another thing. How sure. Did you, how did you find it? Sorry. I no, 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 please. How did you find Into out it was going to go on auction? Like, how did you discover that? Um, the, uh, Sorry, well, it's, it's, it's slightly um, long-winded. The, the uh, Garada K7, because these were produced in lower numbers, they tried to uh, save on the costs. So it used the same molds for the arms and the feet of another Jumbo Machinder villain called a Gerengo C3, which shows up, I don't know, like episode 34 of Mazinger Z. 
And so a, a lot of times with vinyl toys on the foot, they will emboss the name of the character for it. But because this shared the same name as another toy with the same feet, they just put the license holder and the production company, Dynamic Pro Toei Animation, on the foot. So anyone who would find this would potentially um, and put it up for auction would not know the name of it. You know, whereas a lot, most toys, you'd look it up and you're, oh, this is what I, when I'm typing in on Yahoo Japan, I'll put in the name of it. So this, they, but I knew that that was always a possibility because I had Gorengo C3 and I knew it was sharing the same feet. So I bookmarked that. But still, like, once word got out, it got out. You know, once this auction came up, everyone was going crazy for it in Yahoo Japan. Um, and it, but this is 2006, and like the offers that I've got on it now are ridiculous. And earlier this year, um, in this same building, you know, Anime Expo was held, and uh, Go Nagai was uh, a guest. Uh, he was the guest of honor at Anime Expo this year. And uh, a friend of mine that I knew set up sort of a private event for him. So I brought a bunch of my toy collections to, to show him. And uh, you know, it, it was, it was very thrilling for me, but it was also very sad because he explained to me through his wife who knows English that he never got any of the toys in the 70s when he, uh, his shows were taking off and conquering the world because he was just too busy making manga um, and producing the shows. So these toys that I had, he, he didn't have. So he took the Garada K7 and he, he signed the foot of it for me. So. Wow. Um, and Tom, the other thing that you do, you go around and you put together, this is your fourth book over on the, if you guys can see his book over here on the end. Uh, when I first met Tom over 10 years ago, he, I think you were on book two at that point. Yep. And, and you, you hooked me up. You got me into a convention early that Art Adams was going to be at. Yeah. And so I got to his booth before the doors opened and I was <laughs> able to get a sketch from Art Adams. Of, and I do this. Uh, for my daughter, who's here, who's not going to college, she's going to go back. Oh. Well, that, now, now, now that, that, that now that your toy is gained in value, you can go to any college you want. <laughs> you want to buy a college? We're going to yeah. buy you a college. But I do these sketchbooks for her. I love to draw with her. So uh, we came up with a theme together of evil giant robots. So I draw the first page in each of these books. An artist draws each following page. You know, each page is a different artist. When there's one page left, she draws the last one, and then I give them to her. So if she wants to sell them, then she can go to college, I guess. Um, so this is the fourth one that I've got, and it's almost full here. And who are some of the biggest artists that you've uh, had well, there's, uh, there's contribute last, to your books? It's, it's not a good sketch, but uh, here. This is the last thing that Bernie Wrightson drew. Wow. Just a Frankenstein quick robot. And then... Like, some people who just draw robots for a living. You know, we don't know who they are, but they're awesome. That's incredible. And then, there, this went to um, the Philippines, and uh, there was an artist who just like handed it around to his friends, and they were all competitive against each other. This is Emil Cabaltiera. Wow. And then, also in here is You went from worst, yeah. What's that? I said, I don't think I'm in that book. You're in, you're in a different, yes. Yeah, so Scott Zillner here, famous toy collector and dealer. Um, Great. And huge collection. You're in an earlier book. He's, he, he did one in an earlier book. So, like, you went from, like, worst dad ever to best dad ever, Tom. I think that's awesome. But Go Nagai is in here. The, there's a, a Frank Quietly piece that you have in your binder yeah. that's just... Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's great. So, Julia, as an artist, um, what does it take putting together something like a giant robot cast? Like, Tom was talking about these toy casts and oh, how, um, how... I work on mechanical You effects. work in mechanical. Yeah. So, so bringing these about... things to life and working with all the d different departments, like, mm -hmm. you're, pr you're programming these things and, like, putting together their joints and, like, the mechanical pieces that are going to make these things... Fit. Um, these are computer controlled on set. They're not yeah, stop motion. Cooper. These are yeah. what goes into that. Um, Beyond well, like an engineering degree. It, well, um, 
Okay, so I did go to engineering school, but then I kind of fell into the carnival of working in LA. Sure. And so, sure. <laughs> so it was kind of strange how I kind of came in and then kind of started right from the bottom again and kind of got back into the floor. Why the reset? Like, what was your passion? Um, well, I worked in games for many years, and then this is like all before the Gamergate stuff, and there definitely was some kind of a glass ceiling effect going on. Wow. And um, rather than, you know, be sad about it, I just decided to move to another city where people respected artists. Yeah, and my husband's an artist. He's right here behind hey. me. <laughs> and we play this little game. It's not as awesome as your book, but we have this one called Shitty Kaiju, where I draw it on a cocktail napkin when I'm drunk, and my husband actually makes it look better. That's awesome. <laughs> FJ, FJ we won't talk about great. the game too. All you need is one really good artist friend, and then you just go, let's play Shitty Kaiju, and just draw <laughs> something terrible. But you're, you know, you're, you've been great at taking the nuggets of what I was trying to make, like mechanically. Like, I want this thing to have this like propeller fin for feet, and then have That's a ridiculous really cool. nose, and then he just makes it actually look terrifying. Um, can but. they do a jam piece in your book, <laughs> oh, Tom, <dear>. where <laughs> Julia starts it and he no, finishes? No. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. exquisite corpse. Yeah. <laughs> but um, coming back to the the movie side of it, um, there's there's a lot of you know there's obviously the creatives have to come come up with how this creature works. You know what's the origin of it? Is it a xenomorph? Is it a more mechanical based creature? Is it supposed to be looking like it's janky, like articulating, or is it supposed to be smoother? Does it um, you know what's the you know the origin story is important for what the creature is. So uh -huh. creature design um, and definitely. You know, then then you start thinking of the physical aspects. Um, so, you know, so the backstory first: how this creature came to be. I mean, was it injured? Was it a defect? You know, that kind of, things like that. And then when you go to create um, the motion, you know, usually there's previs from a VFX studio, something like that. And then you work off of that to create the programs for you know the armatures to actually move, like the actual bones of it. And then uh, the creature shop guys make the molding and they make all the stuff that goes And that is in, <coughs> so, so what we're going to be seeing in the Godzilla movie, a lot of that is an actual physical, that is not just CGI, because you would think that like, like a lot of that stuff, and maybe for a some of the huge stuff. A lot of it's both nowadays. Yeah. So um, in the past, before there was a lot of promotion control, um, it was actual puppeteers. So your special effects creature design guys would be making you know these the you know the toys and the the original armature and all that so it's, it's really advanced puppeteering um and then obviously things became more complicated and now there's a lot of computer aided you know, but it's artists. great that this is just still a thing that totally. it's not all cgi i thought that I it mean, was just going to go all cgi and we no. were going to have this i mean i know peter jackson's big on a combination of both and like he loves his model making and his stuff but like this yeah, there are great. limitations of CGI. Here, here's my question. Yeah. What can you tell us about Ghidra? Ghidra's <laughs> coming in the new Godzilla movie. Can't talk That's about awesome. Unfortunately, can you just say he's awesome? I mean, all right, he's awesome. But I can't talk about. Unfortunately, I can't talk about. Oh. It. Sorry, oh. sign an NDA. But um, <laughs> that's pretty uh, awesome, though. Yeah. Who, I no, mean, I who are some of the ones that you guys are looking forward to the most in the upcoming King of Monsters movie? Oh. oh, okay. What do you, you want to start? Uh, all of them. You I like mean, it's just great. This, I mean, this is the lineup of Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster from 1965 all over again, and it's great. Mm -hmm. And all of the sort of Marvel, or the, the end of King Kong showing the wall, like on the cave, the, mm -hmm. that, that was great. And uh, all indications point to me, and this is coming from a really cynical fanboy, that the new Godzilla movie is going to be great. Okay, you know? by just nodding your head or shaking your head, you agree. <laughs> I agree because some people have been following this a lot more, so I can't, <laughs> I can't say anything, but my Tom, favorite us, retro character is uh, Mothra. <laughs> so I, I loved how Mothra is uh, maybe potentially coming back. Yeah, Jay, you, you got something <laughs> oh, to say? Come. I got to see a screening of it, so I'm quiet. <laughs> I, I know... So you you got a, you uh, you had one of those it? you you got oh. one of those preview screenings. Yep. What what Jay's not telling you is that he was actually in a rubber suit acting <laughs> in the movie. It is uh, to see it and to know the history. Mm -hmm. You you do have you were a kid growing up on it. You really do have that. Oh my God moment. Mm -hmm. You will have that a lot and especially at the end. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, that's why I'm just like. Exhibit. Mm. <laughs> You guys can talk after the panel. We will. Tom. <laughs> okay. Um, what was it about a guy in a rubber suit that, like, fascinated us? 
with those old Godzilla movies, those old kaiju mm-hmm. movies, because at the end of the day, it was man in a rubber suit. They took it so seriously. Uh-huh. Like, it has this internal logic, and, I mean, well, we got to give credit to uh, Akira Ifakube. The music it takes it seriously, too. The music is so good. All that old music is wonderful, and it really sells the spirit of, yeah, yeah this is a guy in a rubber suit, but you're a kid, you're watching it, you're like, everyone is, is completely sold on this. No one's raising their eyebrows at all. And uh, it's just, it, it, you, you, it hooked you in. Like, when you were watching monster movies as a kid, when the Japanese ones would come on, those were the ones I, I liked the most. It just felt like they were catering to me, and they were treating me seriously. Um, I, I don't know, there's just something about Japan and this stuff that, uh, as a kid, it just, it, it's like you're adjusting the tints on something and the picture just sort of snaps into focus and it really just ropes you in. I mean, we hear all these stories for all of us and something connected that wasn't connecting with American pop culture in the same way. Well, parallel to that, we have in the United States this fear of the, like, the Cold War and the Red Scare and it's also a nuclear threat, but mm-hmm. it is a threat that comes from outer space and we had all these outer space movies and invaders from Mars and like body snatchers mm-hmm. and this and that. In, in Japan, it was more natural, it was yeah. more the natural Mother nature world. striking Mother back. Mother nature yeah. striking back. Yeah. And is that why some of this resonated with, is that a more serious topic? Is that a more realistic topic? Like, like what about that do you think resonated? Because Rodan is, is, well, is, is another example of you know, people going where they shouldn't or mining into a mountain that they shouldn't or using things that they shouldn't against Mother Nature and they, get, they pay for it. Well, I, I think it's not uh, so much a cultural thing, you know, the Red Scare versus uh, uh, nuclear uh, radiation. And it's, it's the kid thing. Mm. Like we talked about Johnny Sacco before and like nothing connecting like Johnny Sacco. And it's just like, here's a kid who has control of the most powerful thing in the world. Adults need the kid in order to succeed. Mm-hmm. And like the adults are fine with that. They're not like, oh, it's just a kid. I don't want some kid hanging. It's just like, he's part of the unicorn team. And uh, I don't know, there's something, you know, and Gamera's the friend of children. And, yeah. uh, uh, children are just treated like normal people. They aren't treated right. like second-class citizens in Japanese pop culture, at least you know in the era that we're talking about now. I don't know. Children have a little more like they they are regarded as part of the culture, and not like you know. I guess in the U.S. we kind of have this kind of helicopter parent attitude, and you know the children have to be protected, like this really protective protectivist yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember being in Tokyo as a kid with a bus pass at the age of ten, just kind of. Going anywhere, <laughs> like still, in the it's city, still like that. no one, you, you know, you, there was no crime. You and the old people at a park would just watch you, just like they're watching their other children. And people would talk to you with respect. You know, they're not like, "Hey, kid, get out of here," you know, kind of attitude. But um, I think with the uh, the the theme, the recurring theme of like the nuclear disaster, like you know, the nuclear Tokyo kind of thing, goes back to. I felt like it, it kind of comes back to Shinto, where there's sort of this guilt, I guess, of like advancing your civilization all on technology and then maybe not listening to nature and not taking time for nature. You have to understand that Japan um, is, uh, you know, they're, I don't know how to explain it. Like the, the predominant religion is Shin, it was Shinto, but it's not really a religion. It's kind of like a way of life of cosmology. Sure, and like Buddhism. So, maybe. yeah, but you could be Shinto and Buddhist or Shinto and Christian. It's okay. Not, yeah, but the idea is that you're supposed to be responsible for the area in which you live and be respectful of the kami in the area. So maybe there's a little bit of guilty conscience if you're, if you're building all these crazy machines, you know, you're not really thinking about the ethical implications of you know, what you're doing to nature. You know, so you're building this thing, are you really thinking about how it's gonna impact the trees or the air? Right. You know, especially a big steampunk robot, like just kicking out steam everywhere, or you know, sure, just sure, sure. as an example. So, that's why I kind of personally I think that theme kind of comes up because there's a little bit of um, you're, you're supposed to live within nature and that's that's like a virtue to be able to live in nature and that's reflected in a lot of the architecture and then when you come back to the kaiju it feels like well you know here's something that's kind of, is a threat right and a lot of times you're talking about a threat from out of space was the United States sure and then they would have the threat coming over the seas right or just nature running amok, you know, to kind of reset some sort of balance, so. And you had a bus pass 
by 10. Yeah. Jay, you didn't, you weren't allowed out of the house by I 20. Know, right? It's right? very different. Like, kind of. like Jay, I was allowed out of the house for a certain amount of t- for a certain amount of time. <laughs> uh, there was this thing called when the street lights come on, get your yeah. ass home. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh no. I couldn't. Yeah, because no, seriously, because of where I grew up, you couldn't even leave off your block. Yeah. So yeah. to get ingrained in the things where you're just watching and it captivates you and it makes you forget about the boredom because mm-hmm. you get bored at home after a while. And so to get ingrained into something, you're like, oh, I need more of this, and I need more of this, and you start finding different things. And the love from going from kaiju to the robots was like, oh, there was all this, there was a plethora of information about robots to find, and you just kept absorbing it. And so by the time I looked up, I was graduating grammar school, and if you didn't do the math, that was four years almost, if not longer. But... Mm-hmm. You, you get you get involved in it and you love it and people think sometimes you grow out of it you know it's considered oh it's a fad you'll grow out of it but for me my love it was love of it stayed to the point where I would tell my friends throughout high school college and even getting older where I will still talk about it I'll still research it YouTube has been one of the greatest things ever yeah pre-internet and, I wonder how you were able to even get a lot of this v, stuff. you find a lot of VHS's you have those mom and pop mom and pop video stores that would have the stuff you couldn't get at a blockbuster and things like that so when you visit those you find the exclusive stuff where it's like it's still in the Japanese packaging yeah. but you'd, you'd also like go to conventions like this yeah yeah. In the right. 90s, and you'd, have, and you'd meet people, and you'd have conversations with people, and you'd both be blowing each other's minds with the information that you'd be sharing with I each other. I just wanted Children and, of the yeah. Atom. That's all I wanted when I was younger, like late 80s. I just wanted the VHS of Children of the Atom, which turned into the, the X-Men cartoon on yeah, Fox. Sure. And this whole VHS thing, you know, it's worth talking about because it's such an obsolete concept now, you know, with YouTube and, and Torrent and all that. Like, watch, like trading, like watching like a ninth generation VHS dub oh. of anime f- with no translations at all, you felt like the coolest person in mm-hmm. the world. You felt like so exclusive. Like whoever the, the hippest, like most indie rock girl at your school was, who was just so above it all, you felt above her for knowing what anime was in the yeah. 80s. I, remember, I still have all my Miyazaki fan for fan dubs on VHS because... Yeah. Like you think no, I mean I know Disney's made great versions of those Miyazaki films, but mm-hmm. for me those VHS was ones as a high school kid going and hanging out with the anime club at UT yeah. in Austin. Like I felt so cool, but they were probably the least cool college kids, <laughs> <laughs> and I felt so cool hanging out with college kids and getting VHS tapes from uh, them. Watching The Empire Strikes Back from uh, a bootleg dub before 1984. Nothing felt as good as that. Like nothing made you feel because it took four years for that thing to be released on video. Wow! And that was that was the coolest thing. And then there was a tweet the other day from a, from somebody who was like, "Wait, you guys used to just burn CDs? How do, how does this work?" Yeah, oh yeah, 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 I saw that. Yeah. Did you see that one, Jay? Yeah, She's I was like, like "Yo, this is sad." <laughs> how do you guys it's burn sad. CDs? And we're like, "Dude, VHS was our thing back in the day, and it Looking wasn't that long VCRs ago." Together. And right, you squeeze right. as many hours onto one VHS. Oh yeah, yeah. six-hour oh. speed, man. You yeah. make six I, I hours. Mean, I had six pen hours. pals all over Asia because I loved Hong Kong cinema, also. Oh sure. So it would just be, how do you squash as much on one tape? Yep. You know, the qu- the it, quality it, be damned. Oh, yes. it didn't matter at all. You can't it didn't even matter read if the subtitles. Or so no, bad. they weren't yeah. even English <laughs> subtitles, but you'd get. You know, as many episodes on one VHS tape just squashed. And you couldn't stop watching. I mean, oh. it was like binge watching before binge watching. Yeah. Like, all, you know, uh, here's 40 episodes of The Fist of the North Star. I'm not falling asleep. It's <laughs> <laughs> you know. a lot of head explosions. <laughs> the, the, the big problem for me was I, when I first saw Gotcha Man in particular, and then. <laughs> Seven Dark Seven. And I, and I, yeah. yeah. And then I went to some, I don't know, I went on vacation, like in Europe, like Italy. And the uncut version came on. They're all slapping each other around. Yeah, blood stuff. everywhere. And I went, holy! Sh-. Like that was like <laughs> I loved funny. it more after that, and I wouldn't watch it. Because yeah, you wouldn't watch that. Like you stuff. know, and that's that was at the time of the the tape trading. I was mostly doing Hong Kong stuff, but then it was like I got to find that. Yeah. I got to find the the real versions of this. All and three I became seasons. Such a stickler yeah. for it. Did you work on the, the new? Well, I'm sorry. Did what you was your whole the new uh, Gatchaman that had, uh, the uh, the redub that came out in like the early like 2000? No, I didn't work on it. I worked with Tetsunoko on this Transformers project, okay. but at the studio. But yeah, I mean, when they put out the Alex Ross like yeah. co- uh, that boxes, was, uh, please speak in your mic. I, oh, sorry. Please, I was like please, a lunatic please. trying to buy so those excited. every time because there was a bunch of stuff I still hadn't seen. You know, in the original, you know, the original cuts. Well, we know Tom's holy grail. 
What were your? Did you guys have Holy Grails like that growing up? Like I, I always wanted to get that Children of the Atom VHS tape of the X Men cartoon. Just for me, and it, it may not be much, but it was to have the diecast Metal Voltron. Yeah, I had sure. pieces of it, but I didn't. Know I mean, here's the thing about Voltron. I had the pieces of it. Like, did you ever attain it? I, I had it, and then I, uh, my house caught on fire. <gasps> so, oh. so yeah, you basically know now I'm about to start crying again. But <laughs> you, you can get it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a winnable war. You can find it again. Okay. Just don't yeah. send your kid to college. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm just not... I mean, Voltron, like, Go Lion and Diruger 15, yes. like, these shows are not highly regarded in Japan the way that they are here. You know, the stuff that came before, you, you got to realize, like, how many copies of copies of copies of robot mm -hmm. shows there were in, you know, from 1972 through the 80s that were going on before Gundam sort of changed it into more uh, mech stuff than super robot stuff. But, you know, the, the, the thing that resonates with us is the quality of the shows were going up, but it was getting more tired in Japan. So Go Lion, Diruger 15 aren't like a big deal, but they're quality shows. So when they were translated here, they really connected further. Uh, Voltron on at the same time as uh, Transor Z. You know, they were contemporaneous yeah. mm. in the 80s. And the, the, uh, there was an animation strike at Toei in 1972 when Devilman and Mazinger Z were being made. And the quality of the animation is not nearly as good as, if, you know, by like 1978. So when Transor Z was released, it made no splash here. <laughs> but it's way more significant than uh, Voltron, either version of Voltron in Japan, which is almost like an afterthought. I don't really see, I mean, I've been in Japan a lot lately, I don't re really see any Go Lion stuff. Yeah. No. Like, I don't, I don't see anything related. Uh, Diallo, did you have a uh, Holy Grail that you had to have as a kid? Um, so, my, my stance on vehicle Voltron, actually. <laughs> 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 No, this is actually, this is actually, this is actually, it, it'll come back around to, to the Lion Voltron. But when I was, uh, when I was, uh, about the summer that they, that it debuted in the United States, like, I think it's like 1984, I was overseas and I didn't get a chance to watch it. And by the time I came back, um, all that I was able to see that they aired was always the vehicles. So that's all, that was my first exposure. I knew that there was this Lion one and I was yeah. really frustrated that I never got to see it because they kept showing yeah. the vehicle one. So I finally, that was my holy grail. <laughs> was, <laughs> and the Netflix show's great. Yeah, the, oh, the, Netflix, the, Netflix, the Netflix Voltron is fantastic. It is one of the most um, amazing pieces. I, I love, and again, like growing up watching anime, I really love how there's a fusion of um, sort of the American sensibilities now with that tradition of the anime style that you find like Avatar and, um, and some other stuff. So yeah, the, the the lion was like my thing. When I finally got to see it, like a year later, you know, my mind was blown. But I still have a special place in my heart <laughs> for for the vehicle. Voltron. Voltron. Actually, it came first, and you didn't get to do the Pepsi challenge of Voltron for a while. Okay. Uh, Julian, FJ, did you guys have any like? It wasn't mine. Wasn't mine. Yeah. Mine wasn't. A, it was the Yamato. There was a vehicle, like a like a like a beautiful. Yamato that they sold at Forbidden Planet in New York, and they were, I mean, it was expensive, it was like three, four hundred dollars. And then, literally, about ten years ago, I finally got it. It wasn't, it, it's not something rare, it's not, sure. I mean, who knows? But it was a kid, $400. but it, it was, a, yeah, I couldn't afford it. Now it was a little cheaper, it might not even be the same one, but it was a very similar in the same stance and at the same angle and all this. And it was a model, it was, and I never made models, I suck at them and all that. But it took me, I, I said, this is the one. I've wanted this thing since childhood. And I put the thing together and had it on my desk at home. And, you know, it took me three and a half weeks to put it together because I'm not sure. adept at these things. And um, I came home one day and I, and I was just, and I looked at my desk, it wasn't there. And my nephew at the time was probably like, Eight. Oh. Yeah, you know where this is going, right? And my nephew and my wife was cooking, and this is an apartment in New York, so just keep in mind it's you know the size of this table. Mm -hmm. And I said, "Where's the? There's, are there kids here? I gotta be careful." I said, "Where's the Yamato?" And the two of them just looked at each other, and to this day I still don't know who, you know. who, which one was cleaning the apartment and accidentally sort of elbowed it. They've right. both thrown each other under the bus. So I have the pieces like in a bag. Right. And then when I moved to LA, I just still haven't had the heart to like 
go into it again. It's we not have broken. to do this. It's not broken. I don't know where the hell it is right now. We have to do this. But it's like, it's this thing. So like, even when I come here, I look for like ones that aren't models. This has been you years, know. FJ. Oh, this has been like 10 years. FJ, there's a part inside it's of your still soul a thing. that needs to be put back I can't believe I just brought this up. That's, That's all. Like a, <laughs> now it's re, you know, FJ, sort of, this is part of your healing. <laughs> Can you hook like, him up? This is why I'm so angry all the time, Justin. Major life stuff, man. Justin, this is why I'm angry all the time. Julia, did you have a... Uh, like an object uh, that you were like. I, you know, I didn't really. You um, lived amongst it. Uh, you, well, I had the gi- I had the Voltron, yeah. so I had my Voltron. I don't know which edition or anything. She could have just gone out and got it. She lived in Japan. Well, nerds. no, it's you know, and then later it's you know, there's a lot of Gundam, so um, maybe I kind of missed the Voltron wave, even though my parents were more fans of it. And then what happened is, like, I played with the Voltron toy and the Godzilla toy, but in popular culture at the time when I was young, it was mainly Gundam. So it was a lot of Gundam and Dragon Ball happening. And, and personally, I like Ghost in the Shell a lot, so I like the big tank, so I have that. So I have the tank, I have my Voltron, I got my, my Godzilla, and I think I got a, um, my, my Zerg thing, and I think I'm good. Like, <laughs> I don't need a closet full of toys. Here's another uh, <laughs> okay. holy grail. That's uh, it, and it's surprising. Everyone's going to say, "What? This isn't available." A date. Uh, Nick, oh, yeah, thank you. What? Um, Nick Adams was a popular uh, actor in kaiju films. He did. Uh, he, he was. He won an Oscar. He was nominated for an Oscar. Didn't win for Twilight of Honor in the '60s. And he was kind of a nutty guy. And he freaked out. And he went to Japan. And he was doing monster movies. And he did Frankenstein Conquers the World. Mm-hmm. And he did Monster Zero. You know, Invasion of the Astro Monsters. And he did a third movie called The Killing Bottle which is part of the same series of the spy movies that Woody Allen did for What's Up, Tiger Lily. Oh my God. Uh, there's five of those movies, and like Woody Allen owns the rights, but that third movie that Nick Adams did, The Killing Bottle, is unfindable. No one has it, and uh, wow. so that's a holy grail. I've never Have seen we, it. You know, yeah. I, uh, no luck. Like, it's not on DVD. It's not on huh. you know, anything. It's not on some weird torrent site. You know, video search of Miami doesn't it. have it. <laughs> Cinephile doesn't have it. And I posted on, like, a, there was a, a double feature at the New Beverly of Frankenstein Conquers the World and War of the Gargantuas. And I'm like, I went to it, and it was great, and it was awesome to see him on the big screen, and it was packed. And on the thread on the Facebook event for that night, I said, hey, is there any chance that the New Beverly or QT, because Quentin Tarantino owns the New Beverly, can find uh, the killing bottle and screen it? And Tarantino responded. He just goes, I wish, exclamation uh-huh. point. Wow. Yeah. Um, so we've mentioned like the, uh, the modern, uh, we got five minutes left, but we mentioned um, Pacific Rim, which is the other big franchise that's in theaters with Godzilla being the other one. Um, some, some of you guys love the sequel. Some of you guys love the, be- the first one and vice versa. I know Jay, heartbroken man about the sequel. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm totally with you. FT's with you, but like... <laughs> But Pacific Tom, Rim was amazing. Yeah. Tom, you and, I, you and I enjoyed the second one. What's going I did. on? Um, Feel free to argue amongst yourselves. You no, know, f- the, no, no fisticuffs. I, I, I think the ending is a little cheesy with yeah. the the rope with the kaiju combining into one. You know, I like the look of all of the kaiju. I thought it, I, I liked seeing all of the Jaegers and kaiju fighting in broad daylight. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked it looking like its own thing. You know, its own palette. It wasn't trying to copy the first movie. I like the 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 fight. It felt like a Jackie Chan fight on the ice. You know, using the environment yeah. around it. Um, like in, in the first one, which I think is great, like a big problem is the two, the, the Australian kid and the main guy kind of look the same. And uh, I, I think that was a bad casting thing, but I like the rest of the movie. Uh, uh, I, you know, part of it is expectations, you know, hey, Guillermo del Toro's not involved, you know, but I saw it twice in the theater and I liked it. Yeah. I just, you know. He speaks for me, whatever comes out of his mouth, I agree. <laughs> Thank you. The, <sighs> There were so many plot structure holes. I was like, you know, I'm not gonna get past this. The the kaiju combining was the dumbest thing because they pumped it up to be where the Jaegers would combine. And when that didn't happen, I was like, this is awful. And then when the Jaegers got destroyed, when you had the kaiju-Jaeger hybrids, and then they did almost a 90s video montage putting them back together. I said, why is this happening? John Boyega's character, why is this happening? If you didn't notice, I asked that question a lot. Uh, Charlie Day, all of a sudden, (laughs) really weird. He has a kaiju sneeze on him and he's cool with it. (laughs) Why is this happening? 
and again, yeah, there was a there was a bar set by what Guillermo del Toro did with Pacific Rim, the first one, and you know, knowing people who were involved with it, some of the actors and stuff, and I loved the film in itself. And granted, knowing there was a different director, it would be a different artistic take on it. But when you hear the plot line at first, you're like, okay, this could be good. And then when you see it, it completely falls off. It would, it would have been... I already spoken for you. I already, yeah, that's true. But I'm just <laughs> a, addendum. An addendum. Cool. I, just, I actually really like the setup of him. Like, you could have done the street version of it where it's like... I like that he was sort of hustling, you know, yeah, in, yeah. wherever he was. He was here, I guess, in L.A. or whatever it was. And I like the idea of people building their own Jaegers. Would have been more interesting. Like, if, if it was like... We had to sort of do almost like the Fast and the Furious of Jaegers, where it's like people from different places Absolutely. come together to take out the kaiju because the military can't. I thought that's where I thought it was going, mm. and then I was just like, "Well, it's the same." It's, it's yeah, because the girl she they didn't need it. All of a sudden, she was building. Spoiler alert: There's a girl in L.A. made her own Jaeger, little Ricky Dink one, and then all of a sudden they take her into as a recruit. They the cadets don't want her. Flip the screen. Now she's piloting the Jaeger. We felt we got all about being able to be drift compatible. They talked nothing about it. Mm. So it was those things. It was like, wait, what? Huh? To build a bridge and uh, build a peace between you and I, mm -hmm. um, the first Pacific Rim is the Lion Voltron. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> oh, I see. I see. <laughs> I think that is a That's beautiful a piece. Good place to end. The sequel of the Vehicle Voltron. What a, what a wonder. I mean, would you guys still be in line for the for a third movie? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's what <laughs> oh, I think that's What's the name of this panel? <laughs> uh, yeah, of course we'd be there. Um, I think that's a beautiful place to uh, end on. Thank you, Jay and Diallo. That was uh, great. That was a perfect. For, that was perfect. <laughs> Thank you. FJ gets to live today. I know. Um, <laughs> Unscathed. I, um, where can we find you guys on social media and online and find your work? Uh, quick plugs before we end the panel. Huh? Uh, the best place is on Twitter, uh, Jay Machinder uh, at Twitter. That's the name of the toys. Uh, I'm doing a panel in 406, uh, Sketch Fighter, which pairs comedians and professional comic book artists all playing uh, like an all-geek version of Pictionary. Um, and uh, I'm doing a stand-up show here tomorrow in 406, uh, Comics and Comics. All right. And then um, you can find me at cleverfox.media for um, projects. But um, you can follow me on the grams, um, dev, dot, uh, dev siren, so C-Y-R-3-N. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, at Mr. J. Washington. That's M-R-J-A-Y. You should know how to spell Washington. Uh, my st my, uh, I'm doing comics on comics here later tonight, stand-up all around L.A. Uh, I'm the host of the Mad Titan podcast, where I get you caught up on everything that's happening in the Marvel and D.C. live-action cinematic universes. I watch every, every single TV show. Oh, all of them. It's like Ian. What do you think of Titans? We'll talk after this. <laughs> We're gonna talk about Titans after this. Also, you can catch me on Nerdist and Collider, Screen Junkies, and all of those. So, FJ, uh, I got kicked off Twitter. So, um, <laughs> at FJ DeSanto on Instagram, and I'm floating around places. And watch in any more Transformers? Oh, I can't say. But you can watch the Transformers. The stuff Transformers, on the, the Prime Wars trilogy, which just finished in May, um, which we did in yeah, Tatsunoko in Japan. And then I can't say anything beyond that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Twitter and Instagram, uh, the Armageddon. Uh, the second E is a three. And uh, also on Instagram, Angela and the Dark. And that's his new comic, and it's out on the floor, isn't it? Yeah, you on, guys? Uh, out on the floor. Forge Creations, the table. Check stuff. Uh, I'm Jonathan London. I'm at Jonathan London on Twitter. You can search for Geekscape uh, to listen to this. Uh, I recorded this panel, and you can pass it on to your friends so they can be here at LA Comic Con. Uh, and that's at geekscape.net. Geekscape's the podcast. Search Geekscape on all the socials. You'll find us. All right. Um, thank you guys so much for being a part of this. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.